0: Ladies and gentlemen in Corner Kick fam, welcome once more to a new season of the Corner Kick podcast. Yes, we oh, wow. can hardly fathom it either. The new Premier League season is approaching. The new Ligue 1 season has already begun. La Liga and Serie A are just around the corner. But this episode, which I guess it is the season premiere, shall we say, of the Corner Kick podcast, will be centered around our preview of the Premier League, which begins this Friday with Arsenal against Brentford. I'm very, very excited and also a bit scared for the upcoming season, partly because <laughs> I didn't realize that it was approaching this rapidly. You know, we've had a lot of football this summer, as you can tell from our activity in the past few months, mm-hmm. but it's going to be very Premier League focused today. We're going to be going through every single team and their transfers and where we think they'll be finishing. Before giving a final 20-team table, each one of us has come up with how we think the Premier League is going to play out come next May in 2020. Or in my case, how it will turn out.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Indeed.
0: A lot of confidence bubbling over into the season premiere. But yes, I am very excited to break into this episode. This is always one of my uh, more favorite episodes that we do do. You get to talk about a lot of interesting teams that we might not otherwise talk about, a lot of interesting players that we might not otherwise talk about. It it gives us some of our
1: best sound bites of all time, for better or for worse.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Some breakout (laughs) stars are made on this podcast, and obviously some classic corner kick wrong predictions, primarily probably from Nathan Strauss as well.
1: I've been the most accurate predictor in the last three months for the first time in our five-year history. Mm,
2: Yes. (laughs) I mean, okay, yeah, if we we can keep setting the timeline, like, at some point, I was also the most accurate. But never mind. (laughs) Nick, continue.
0: Anyways, with that aside, Nathan will have to, you know, compete with the two of us for that title throughout the rest of this podcast and the rest of the season. But shall we jump in, Nathan? We're going to do this alphabetically. So let us begin with Arsenal.
2: Wait, do we not get introduced? What is this?
0: Oh, my bad. I... (laughs) I'm so eager, much like the Premier League, I am so eager to start this season that I've actually foregone our traditional introductions. But joining me is a man who is not, you know, going to be making an appearance at the Eiffel Tower for a surprise or not so su- surprising
2: uh, debut announcement or reveal. It is Caleb Rhodes. Hello, and you know, as I told you guys in our group chat, I think they're just going to announce that they're finally tearing down the Eiffel Tower, <laughs> so we can all <laughs> rest easy on that front. Also, can I just say it is crazy? We have been at this for five years now doing yeah, that's... season previews, uh, but but I'm excited to get this show going. So yes, yeah.
0: and allow me to introduce the man who will be defending his predictions crown or trying to get things you know not as comically wrong as he normally gets
1: them it is nathan strauss it's true you know my personal philosophy has always been to set a low bar that way you uh more frequently exceed expectations so i'm looking forward to it i think my i think my picks this day are fantastic but we'll we'll see
0: speaking of setting a low bar nathan let's begin with arsenal i mean actually yeah no
1: it it is true so i think (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this has been an interesting summer for Arsenal because they've actually done pretty much everything right, in my opinion. They've obviously we have to have a, a shrunk squad, so there wasn't going to be a whole lot of incoming transfers. We got a backup left back who was young in Nuno Tavares, who looked pretty good in the one preseason game that I watched of him. We got Albert sambi Kanga from Anderlecht, who you know captained his side at the age of twenty one, a more physical presence in the midfield, uh, who is also. Young, you know, these are players under 24. And then they overspent on Ben White, who <laughs> filled a big position of need for them in terms of, you know, he will likely be our starting right center back uh, come opening day. And as far as outgoings, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of, a lot of youth players left on loan. Um, Guendouzi and Saliba going out on loan to Marseille um, were to be expected to a certain point. Getting rid of David Luiz instead of extending him, which was once rumored um, is a good thing and then uh, as of today the athletic reported that joe willick is going to go to newcastle for 29 million which would mean arsenal's net spend this summer would actually be below 50 million so all in all i think it was a pragmatic summer for arsenal they need a a young striker at some point in the next 18 months but this summer was not the summer to make that purchase and all in all the focus is going to be on getting into europe in whatever form that comes which spoiler alert i think they do but all in all, again, not overwhelming, but they did a lot of things right.
2: Oh, Nick, how do we how do we take this head down to earth kindly? Um, OK, so I agree
0: with a few things that Nathan said. I do think that they addressed a few areas of need, particularly, you know, we'll no longer be seeing Cedric Suarez pop up <laughs> at left back um, throughout periodically throughout the season when Kieran Tierney inevitably gets injured. I do think that there is, you know, I don't want to call it pressure because I don't know how much of Nuno Tavares and Sambi Lekonga we will see throughout the season. I think we'll we'll definitely see more of Sambi uh, than Tavares. However, you know, okay, so the Ben White transfer, 50 million for Ben White, it is a lot of money, particularly since we did not anticipate Arsenal to spend 50 million on anyone. I understand paying premium money for what you think is going to be a premium player Several years down the line, however, Arsenal desperately, desperately needed a creative midfielder as well this summer. And you know, as of right now, you know there are rumblings that maybe they're still interested in bringing Martin Erdegaard back to the club in some capacity. I think that's going to be up to Ancelotti and Madrid. Um, there's been no, you know, revival of Husam Arouar discussions. Uh, Emil Smith Rowe has taken the number ten. That's going to be a lot more added minutes and pressure on his shoulders. Bukayo Saka has had a tumultuous summer for many reasons, you know, coming off of a Euros where I think he played a lot more than we all expected. So Caleb, yeah, I think there is going to be um, some growing pains once again for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal this season with an even smaller squad of players that he can mm. depend on.
2: So I th- I think you know we we can make fun of the fee for Ben White, but I think he actually is quite a good player. I mean, you look at Brighton's defensive record. They only conceded 46 goals last year. They had a goal difference of minus six. And for a team that finished 16th to have a better defense than West Ham, who finished sixth and only conceded two more goals than Man U that finished second is pretty crazy. And I think Ben White was a big part of that. I think the issue for Arsenal though, is Arsenal actually had one of the better defenses in the league last year, despite having the sort of buffoonery of David Luiz, the issue that they had was the somewhat shocking regression of a Yang. They had, you know, fat Willie on doing his best and <laughs> hazard <laughs> impression. Um, and I think you have to ask, like, do we expect the offense to suddenly roar back into life this year? Do we expect that to happen, especially when, you know, you lose Chabayos and Odegaard and Partey again for a long time. So I think Arsenal are set up to have a better defense than last year even, which is saying something. But I think that their big issue in the squad was actually more on the offensive side. And unless you think a Bemidin is going to be like a top scorer in the Premier League again, which is seemingly unlikely, I think that spells, you know, trouble Um, for Arsenal trying to sort of improve on their eighth place finish last year.
1: A lot of Arsenal's struggles last year came in that really terrible stretch from about the first week of October through the third week of November, where, you know, there were talks about Arteta getting sacked. If you look at the form table for just the second half of the season, Arsenal actually got the fifth most points, either fifth or fourth, of any team in the league. So I do think that when the goals are there, this team is able to... uh, Really impressed. And I think that keeping Obama and Lacazette fitter without, you know, needing to play Obama Yang against Rapid Vienna, for example, in midweek could help. But I do agree, it's all going to come down to, you know, whether Obama Yang can get you 20 goals a year or if, you know, Sokka is going to have to step up and score 10 league goals or something like that. Do we want to hop on to Villa? Okay.
0: Aston Villa. <laughs> so they have obviously been in the news quite a lot in the past few weeks because their captain and the man who spent two decades at the club, Jack Grealish, has recently departed from Manchester City for a British transfer record of 100 million pounds. You know, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I thought their CEO and chairman uh, made an excellent video slash statement to explain their process in allowing Jack Grealish to lead the club. And he also delved deeper into Uh, The methodology that they've taken in order to attempt to replace him. They're essentially doing it by committee. And the way that they've done this is by signing three players essentially to, you know, recoup the difference of losing one Jack Grealish, who I'm sure we'll talk about when we get on to Man City. But they have signed Emiliano Buendia from Norwich, who is one of Caleb's favorites, Mm -hmm. Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen, you know, a football manager god to some, certainly myself. (laughs) But, you know, a player with a lot of potential, a lot of match-winning talent, but is certainly a bit streaky. And Danny Ings, you know, the former Southampton 20-goal-a-season man for $25 million. Also, they signed Ashley Young. Some great experience. He he's back at his old team uh, on a free from Inter Milan. And they've also completed the deal for Axel Tuanzebe on loan from Manchester United. A player who I think is honestly a bit underrated. I think Tuanzebe is... Is quite good, especially for a um you know upper to mid table Premier League team too. So I do think if you're going to replace a player of the quality of Jack Grealish and you're also trying to you know build on a season of great success like Aston Villa had last year, I think this is the way to do it. You know you look at the way that Leicester City has replaced Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Conte in the past, and I think you know you look at Aston Villa, they've only lost really one key player. They've done a really, really diligent job in attempting to replace their talisman.
2: Yeah. I mean, we'll get to how we ranked teams later, but I have Aston Villa placing higher this year than they did last year by, by a decent margin. And I think, you know, Buendia and Ings both know the Premier League. Buendia dominated the championship last year. Um, and Ings, you know, when he's fit, is, is a perennial goal scorer. Aston Villa are kind of a model club um, for sort of smart, intelligent management using data to replace key players and also selling, you know, players at a massive premium. Jack Relish is not worth a hundred million, but they were able to extract, you know, the full value. And so I think this is great business all around, um, and probably a win-win for both Villa and City in the sort of medium term.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to disagree with that. I also have Villa finishing a fair bit higher than they did last year. Uh, And what's interesting about their squad is that their most valuable player is actually Emmy Martinez, who right now is worth 38.5 million. And I think he is coming off of an excellent tournament at the Copa America. I think he's actually one of the better goaltenders in the league, goalkeepers, excuse me, in the league. But after that, whereas last year you had Jack Grealish, who was twice as valuable as any other player in their squad. The idea of replacing his productivity by committee is a bold one. Because ideally, if you're Aston Villa, you don't want to have to rely on Bertrand Traore or Anwar El Ghazi to be getting you goals in key you know, areas of the season, which I think happened last year when Grealish had injuries. And you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Matty Cash as well. I think he could very well wind up making a move to a club um, like well I would say like United but really any of the top any of the biggest four teams um, after this year I think the Ings transfer uh, makes a lot of sense if he can stay fit if not they do have Ollie Watkins who I thought was excellent last year uh, much of the time he did miss a couple of, of sitters so all in all I think Villa are following the Leicester model and are going to be a very tough out this year against some of the bigger teams
0: yeah, and I think on, you know, Ollie Watkins and Anwar Alghazi, they've sort of been forgotten men in this Jack Grealish conversation. Anwar Al you know, scored 10 Premier League goals last season and Ollie Watkins scored 14. So there is a lot of, you know, even with uh, such a creative force like Jack Grealish leaving the club, there is still a lot of, you know, statistical output left on this Aston Villa team that I think will only get better under Dean Smith. To Brentford,
2: Brighton. Brentford's before Brighton. No, it's not.
0: Not, not. not according to the Guardian.
1: Not according to the Guardian. Oh, that's on <laughs> yeah. them. No, oh, E yeah. goes no, a before weird. I. Yeah, yeah but unless, that's weird. Uh, no, unless unless the up.
2: English do I before E, like what? when they sing the alphabet. To <laughs> e, <laughs> Pull
0: the wall down here. We're using the Guardian's uh, Transfer Window Summer 2021 interactive page. And if for whatever reason... <laughs> <laughs> they have Brighton listed before Brentford.
1: Here. Okay, and so we're definitely going to do Brentford next. Okay, Brentford next. Dude, honestly, that's pretty shocking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we get. That's just fake news from The Guardian right there.
0: They, they guard everything except for the arrangement of the alphabet.
2: Dude, here's what happens. like You leave the EU, and within a year and a half, you already can't put things in alphabet order. Dude, you don't get order. any
0: votes at the Eurovision Song Contest, and you're already messing up <laughs> the yes. alphabet down downhill okay but you know what else is downhill brentford as brentford. soon as the season starts <laughs>
2: <laughs> So disrespectful. <laughs> oh, but you're not wrong i mean i mean here's the thing right we know that every year on average like 2.3 of the promoted teams get relegated brentford is one of those 2.3
1: interesting i do not see it that way but why don't you go first
2: I think, so they obviously had a very prolific offense in the championship last year. Their defense left a little something to be desired, but what's more concerning to me is they really have not brought in that much talent. I guess they brought in Christopher Ayer from Celtic, and that will help shore up the defense a little bit, but I just don't think they've made the requisite investment to to be competitive. And I also think, you know, top scoring teams in the championship, that goal scoring doesn't always translate. Um, super well to the Premier League. So I don't take that super seriously. So I think that they're probably going to go down.
0: I do think Ivan Tony, who was, you know, their 25 goal season man in the championship, is the real deal. He's going to be on a lot of FPL teams to start the, the season. But I do agree, Caleb. I do think that, you know, they have kept the core of their team from the championship and adding someone like Iyer who's very, very good, very, very talented player. I'm excited to see him get out of the Scottish uh, premiership, particularly the disaster that is Celtic football club. But I think, you know, we saw with Norwich in 2019, you know, they were a team that offensively took the championship by storm and that didn't exactly translate to the Premier League. And the thing that did translate to the Premier League was, you know, the defensive fragility because they didn't quite invest enough at the back. And I, I think that that will be the same with Brentford. They will play a lot of very, very good football. And I think we'll see a lot of that fluidity uh, and tactical flexibility that we saw from Thomas Frank in the championship. However, I don't think it's going to be enough to keep them in the league at the end of the day.
1: I have them as the only surviving team from the three that got promoted um, in my final 20. I They are known for their money ball approach. They do an excellent job of developing talent I'm a little surprised that they are running a surplus so far this transfer window because typically we see teams spend quite mightily in their first year back in an attempt to you know stay up after that and I do think that they are likely lacking a secondary goal scorer behind Tony I mean Brian Mbueno was a 10 goal a year player for them they do have a very young team and I think that Brentford yeah. are more concerned with their process than they are with necessarily staying up this year. Like this team is so young. They go back down. Their players are they're another right year up. and they're right back. They up.
0: are they are very much like Norwich in 2019, yeah, I feel.
1: I agree. Um, but I have I have faith in this team because of how unique they are in a way that isn't sort of Bielsa-esque. Like they're not gonna gimmick you to death, right? I think I don't know, I think they have a chance, and I think um they're I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sort of curious as to how it plays out. They are uh, a big wild card in my mind.
0: Well, we will see them as early as Friday against your against club, Arsenal. Nathan. Arsenal, and they're probably so going to beat think... us like
1: 3-1 and we're going to have two red cards. So,
0: <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll definitely see how this <laughs> plays out. I I would like to see Brentford stay up. I think they're an amazing story, particularly in, you know, as you were saying, you know, their approach to how they conduct their business as a club. But I I, I think I'm leaning more towards Caleb in that. I think especially for a debut season in the league, the money ball approach is very, very risky. But I do think if they do go down, we will see them again very, very soon. Do you want to take Brighton, Caleb?
2: Brighton, such a difficult team to evaluate. I mean, last year they finished. They finished 16th. As I was discussing earlier, they had the best defensive record in the bottom half of the table tied with Aston Villa, who finished in 11th. Their issue was obviously goal scoring. Um, But they were also the team or one of the teams that had one of the biggest gaps between, you know, expected goals and goals. And so for whatever reason, they couldn't quite get the ball into the net as often as they probably deserved to. Now, though, having lost, you know, Davey Proper, having lost um, Ben White, I think their defense is going to crumble a little bit. You know, someone like Adam Alana is a year older and I think they'll probably finish right (laughs) around older and
0: has like even less. Hamstrings.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he has a hamstring. Yeah, literally one. There's literally one <laughs> no. left. Yeah, Two legs. Yeah, lines, so. yeah like, exactly. Like um, poor Adam. So yeah. I think I think they'll probably. I don't. I don't think they're going to go down. I think there are other teams with bigger issues, but I do think they're probably going to finish with a similar record, but a record they more deserve because last year they probably should have finished closer to 14th, maybe 13th, and they ended up in 16th.
1: I really like the signing of Enoch and Weppu. Salzburg are consistently turning out these incredible players. Another one of whom we will get to when we talk about Leicester. I think Brighton were incredibly unlucky last year, not just in terms of their differential and xG, but also they had some really tough, um, you know, game-changing calls going against them. I have them finishing 14th this year because again, there just isn't enough there in terms of tactics. They don't do anything you know, particularly well. Um, But I do think they stay up. I like the fact again, that they went young with their transfers as well um, to sort of compensate for some of the guys they got on free transfers midway through last year. So all in all, a decent summer for them. Um, I think they are probably going to be in and around the relegation battle for like a month or two, and then they'll separate a little bit. Yeah, no, I think you guys did a great job with that. I have nothing really to add. Can we all, this is my hot take team. Let's go. Okay. Burnley. Burnley. Do you okay. guys mind if I, do you guys mind if I take yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, lay it Dude, on yeah. 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 I have.
0: That. Yeah. Listen, if you want Burnley, Burnley
1: is all yours. Burnley are going down. This is the year that the Sean Dyche magic is over. They have the least valuable squad in the entire prem. They don't have a single player valued at over 28 million. Their two most valuable players are James Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil. And unless 21 year old Dwight McNeil suddenly scores 20 goals this team is just absolutely cooked. I thought they were going to go down last year, and I just don't think Brexit football is sustainable right now. I have them finishing 18th. Their squad is incredibly old. They have hardly made a single transfer. Their only player they brought in is Nathan Collins, a 20-year-old center back who they, got, who they brought in from Stoke City. But otherwise, this is a team that struggled to score last year and survived on their physicality, and I just do not believe in them whatsoever. You know, look at their transfers that they had this year. They are playing football manager on hard mode, and I really hope that they are not rewarded for their uh, anti-football, so to speak. Oh, why yeah. Do you, why do you hate Burnley? I mean, why do you okay. always,
0: for whatever reason, you have this like vendetta against Burnley? Okay,
1: okay. P-
2: putting aside whatever feelings Nathan has, I don't know. Um, I, I agree with his analysis. This team has been trending down for like three years now. They continue to bleed the little talent they have. Dwight McNeil is not going to score 20 goals when he's playing as like a true winger in a 4-4-2. And they were were atrocious last year and barely escaped the drop. And I agree.
0: All right. So this team is not going down. I'll tell you why. It's all because of one man. And that man is Sean Dyche. And there's a reason why Crystal Palace wanted to bring in Sean Dyche this season before they ended up with Patrick Vieira, and I'm sure we'll get on to Palace. As long as Burnley and their owners, who are seemingly at odds with Sean Dyche right now, don't do the very foolish thing of sacking him, Burnley will stay and get stay in the league and will get just enough points to do so. Now, I have full faith in the Sean Dyche approach, specifically down there uh, in the doldrums of the Premier League table, and until I'm proven you know, very wrong, which could be this season, I don't think Burnley are going down. I think you know we have this discussion every single season, and every single season they seem to prove us wrong. So I, I have you know in dice we trust. I hope he eats a lot of worms or whatever it is this season. And you know what? I think Burnley are staying up. Do we want yeah. to talk about the champions in waiting? Oh God,
2: Crystal Palace. Oh wait, no, Chelsea. No. <laughs> Did they get that wrong? Also, that's no, a- <laughs> but that would be funny. That'd be even more egregious. At least, at least Brighton and Brentford. It's like the third letter in
0: Chelsea Football Club. They have had a quiet summer up until about seven days ago, when <laughs> murmurings started to come out of Milan that Chelsea had put in a bid of excess of a hundred million for their former man striker. Romelu Lukaku and that has turned out to be true Lukaku is on his way back to the bridge the club in which he signed for exactly 10 years ago from Belgium this is exactly the transfer that the Champions League winners needed they needed someone that could help them overperform their xg they needed someone who could take the focus off of a flailing Timo Werner, who I think actually kind of improved a little bit towards the back end of last season. Oh, that didn't bore out statistically. I think it's going to help players like Kai Havertz and Christian Pulisic really improve their game to have someone with the ability and the goal scoring prowess of Lukaku to sort of take the burden off of them. He's a perfect fit for that Tuchel, five at the back situation where a lot of it is filtered through narrowly. This is a perfect signing. Um, it is poetic that he's going back to Chelsea. And I think this has firmly made, you know,
2: even more so than Jack Grealish to City, Chelsea, the favorites for the Premier League title this season. I mean, there's not much else to say. I mean, this team really, I think, underperformed in the Prem last year, given the quality of the attacking signings they brought in after firing Lampard. Tuchel helped, you know, give them the second best defensive record in the league. They didn't score that many goals. They only scored 58. But I think even with the players last year playing to half their capacity, they probably should have scored closer to 70 or 75. And now you have Lukaku, and you have to ask, like, can they score more than the 83 City scored last year? Probably. And this team, once Tuchel finds the formation that works the best, and once he decides that Ziyech probably isn't part of that, they're just going to roll over everybody else. And I think the most shocking part of all this is once you factor in you know, all the people they've sold. And once you factor in the Tammy Abraham sale to Roma, they're only going to have a net transfer spend this summer of about 20 million, which is really, really impressive. And so I think, again, Chelsea have found a way to sort of sneakily get the job done. And I hate that they're favorites, but but they definitely are.
1: Yeah, 30 million for Tamori plus 18 million for Martin Guehi. You know, that covers half, that, that, that equals half a Lukaku. And when you only make one marquee signing, um, I think that kind of sort of transfer calculus, if you will, is uh, or really transfer algebra is pretty simple. So I have Chelsea winning the league right now. Um, I just think that Tuchel did such a good job with them defensively. I also wouldn't rule out the possibility that Timo Werner regresses to the mean. He underperformed so severely last year, I was so say this. severely. I, think
0: I agree with this. that.
1: Even a scary. regression to the mean. Would equate to like six or seven more goals. He scored 13 goals in all competitions after appearing in about 50 games. He could easily become a 20 goal scorer in all competitions. Maybe he gets, you know, 11 in the Prem, a few in the FA Cup, and six or something in the Champions League. But also, maybe not having the pressure of being the only out and out striker coming off of a huge move will help his confidence too
0: historically, he's been a second striker throughout his career. He's never been the main man playing off of a combo of Yusuf Poulsen and Zabitzer. I mean, at Chelsea, you know, there's no one better for him to play off of than someone like Romelu Lukaku, who's got an amazing range of passing, you know, all the banter about his first touch, whatever. Romelu Lukaku is a beautiful, technically gifted football player. And he is all sorts of finishing his crossing has really come on leaps and bounds with that partnership with Lautaro Martinez at Inter. Uh, he is such a great awareness of space. I mean, this guy is, I don't even want to call him underrated because I think right now, you know, he's, he's perfectly rated, but he is as good of a striker on the market as you can probably get with the exception of Robert Lewandowski. I think this is a very poetic way for him to re enter the Premier League, you know, at the apex of his career, having just won a Serie A and uh, trying to, you know, finally make a statement on the league in which he's trying to do so for such a long time. You know, it didn't quite happen for him at Manchester United, but I absolutely think this is going to be the time when Lukaku absolutely tears up the Premier League.
1: Well said. All right. Crystal Palace.
0: This, Crystal. okay. I, I could take this team, Bicale, yeah, but I know you haven't it. talked in a while. so
2: no, 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 please take it.
0: I really like what Crystal Palace have done. And I think I've said this a few times in our corner kick chat. So they've, they've gotten significantly younger uh, their outgoings include the likes of Andres Townsend, you know, Wayne Hennessy, Patrick Van Anholt, Gary, Gary Cahill, James McCarthy, who have all left on free transfers that has brought the age of their team down significantly. And to replace them, they brought in a crop of really good, young, mostly domestic players. You know, Mark mm-hmm. Gwehi is a very, very talented defender who they brought in from Chelsea he was one of the championship's premium defenders last season at Swansea. Joachim Anderson was probably Fulham's best player last season. Tottenham were rumored to be, you know, sniffing around him, you know, before they set their sights on Christian Romero. Connor Gallagher had an amazing season at West Brom, and he, I think, is going to pick up a lot of the creative force in that midfield. Uh, while Aberici Eze is recovering from an injury, and Michael Olise is. A great left-sided midfielder from Reading, who they picked up kind of on the sneaky cheap at only eight million. So for a club, you know, who have been outspoken about the fact that they don't have that much to pull from in terms of resources, and with a new younger manager and Patrick Vieira, I think the team had to get younger. Uh, they had to get a little bit more experimental in the transfer market, and they've done that with these with these incomings. So I think this has been a very good uh, summer from Palace.
2: Yeah, and they kept a hold of Zaha, which is essentially a a new signing for them every year. And it's actually been a little weird how there's been like no chatter about him at all this summer, unless I missed something.
0: I think, you know, the pandemic transfer market was always going to make it tough on Wilfred Zaha because, you know, he never quite has, you know, the statistical contribution to a season to really warrant the like 70 to 80 million euro move or whatever it is. And I think certainly now, you know, there are plenty of other players that teams can go for that are a bit younger than him. You know, Wolf Zaha is approaching 30 now, which is kind of wild to say. The pandemic has made it really tough to shop a player like Zaha around, which could work to the benefit of Crystal Palace.
2: I almost feel like he could have been a better transfer for Aston Villa than Leon Bailey. Whatever. No, but I, I, I agree with all your points, Nick. I think Crystal Palace have kind of had the same squad for the past few years. And unlike Burnley, have decided to actually splash the cash a little bit um and sort of rejuvenate the squad. I don't think this team is at under real threat of going down. Yeah. I
1: ha- I have Palace finishing 17th. I am a little concerned about where they get their goals from. Um you know, when Zaha Zaha only scored 11 goals last year. He missed I think almost 10 games due to injury and Palace just do not play particularly Aesthetically pleasing soccer, and they're bringing in, you know, Patrick Vieira, who has had um, some ups and downs as a coach so far, and this is definitely going to be his biggest test. um I, I do like the fact that they went young, you know. I think that they've been rewarded for that in the past, like they've they signed Hyro Riedewald from Ajax in like 2017, and he barely played a minute for them, and then this last year. Three years after he was signed, he wound up playing almost every single game for them. So even when, um, you know, players might not be making a contribution immediately, I think it's still smart deals. Um, I really like Eberichi Eze. Uh, I think he's going to have an increase in productivity compared to what he did last year with four goals and six assists. probably not
0: because he's going to be out for the first part of the season. I thought he was only out until like September. No longer. It's going to be until like January. He has like a cruciate injury. I think the
1: point still stands. I think he, w- when he is fit, no, I he'll think do he's better like amazing than he did last player. year. I think he's an amazing yeah. player. Like, you know, he's still only 23. He had some adjusting to do last year. Um, and obviously, his position is often occupied by Zaha. So I do think there's a little bit of a tactical Tetris needs to be done to fit both of them in the team. But I think Palace stay up um, and hopefully they can, you know, maybe reach the heights that we once forecasted them to reach five years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and on the on the goal scoring front for Palace, we'll move on after this. But Benteke sneaky scored ten goals last season, which is wild. And they also, you know, have Jean-Philippe Mateta still uh, on loan from the Bundesliga. And you know, he didn't, you know, lit, light the world on fire uh, with his loan spell. But you know, with a full preseason under his belt, who knows what you're going to get from him? So,
2: and I'd also like to point out that last year was Zaha's highest scoring season ever in the Premier League. He had eleven and thirty, and he's twenty eight now, so he's in his prime. So he could easily, you know, score about that level or even thirteen or fourteen this year. Okay, but
0: let's move on to the oh big Ev.
2: Oh God, I feel like <laughs> this is a mess. Oh
1: God, oh poor Everton, going down, going down, no. you are going down. No, 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 no Everton this is a disaster. Everton, I feel oh my like goodness. Everton, no,
2: no, hold up.
0: Before yeah. I just want to say that, like, I don't think we we really realize what state some clubs are in until we come to this like page, which lays it out in like full detail for us. It's like, see who they have brought in, who they've let yeah. go, things like that. So let me read who, before you go, Caleb, let me read who yeah. Everton have brought in. <clears throat> they have brought in Andres Townsend from Crystal Palace for free. So I hope they have set up a big net for when those shots go sailing over the goal. They have brought in Azmir Begovic, from Bournemouth, and they have brought in Damari Gray from Bayer Leverkusen for the astounding fee of £1.7 million. Uh, they have lost their manager, and Carlo Ancelotti. They have replaced him with former Liverpool boss, Rafa Benitez, which I believe we discussed about a few weeks ago. Uh, Caleb, I will let you <laughs> try <and laughs> direct this train back onto the, the tracks
2: here. Well, so they, they lost... Theo Walkett, obviously on a free to Southampton, even though he was there last year. And then they just threw out a bunch of other kind of like failed transfers and youth players over the past few years. Uh, the Bosnian, Muhammad Besic, who had about like one good game for them. Um, Yannick Belasi, who had about one good knee for them. Um, Wait, Josh, Josh King was on this team? No, exactly. So Josh King made the transfer last year um, because Ancelotti promised that he would play games. And then Ancelotti... Never played him at all. Okay, So that obviously made Josh King rather upset. Um, And so Josh King left. They lost little Bernard um, to Sharjah FC. I'm not really sure where that is. And then
0: I think we can probably safely say that Hamas Rodriguez is on his way out.
2: I think Everton, though, they, they really did live like the Icarus story. They were splashing the cash. They had Ancelotti. They felt themselves a European team. And then they finished like 10th last year. And then Ancelotti, of course, dipped to a Madrid team that honestly is not that much better than this Everton team, but go figure. Bringing in a players like Andres Townsend, who is just old and not that effective, and Demerai Gray, who has not even come close to living up to his billing, does not inspire great confidence in what this team is going to achieve.
1: I think that this team is going to have, they have had, I think, the worst summer of any team in the entire league. Um, You know, when I was scrolling through making my final predictions, they're not under threat of relegation. You know, they have too much quality. Their squad is too valuable. But this summer did come at the worst possible time, you know, when they are in the midst of proposing their new stadium and figuring that situation out. I also think that a poor performance in the first half of the year could see a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin look to move up as well. So Everton kind of had a bit of a, a swan song, in the early stages of last season when we were like oh maybe they are contenders i think they were top of the table after like 5 games and we were like oh humes is like living in 2014 again um but that is just not the reality of this team i think they are in real trouble when you're bringing in Andros townsend and ageless youth wonder Damari gray um like there's a reason that he was let go from Bayer Leverkusen after half a year um so i don't know i'm i'm very concerned for them but I, they, they really have themselves to blame for, you know, five years of, of overspending.
0: This is shades of when Rafa Benitez took over Newcastle and Mike Ashley, you know, didn't have any money to spend at that period either or just wouldn't release the funds to like bring in players for him. And this very much has that same vibe where Mashiri is kind of hoping to get through the season, get through the pandemic with Benitez, and then hopefully more funds will become available or they'll have more of a sense of where to take the squad uh in the next coming years but yeah this is not good it's going to be a very defensive oriented approach from Benitez this season I think as we kind of saw at Newcastle Uh, I do love Rafa um you know he's always going to have a special place in my heart but this is a really difficult job for him and unfortunately in order for the fans to kind of get off of his back he's going to need to perform immediately and I don't think there's going to be yeah, potential for that to happen with this team, particularly with a lot of the injury record of some of their key players like Lucas Digne and Alan and Dekkeray too, who suffered a lot of injuries last season. Yeah, this this not looking good for Everton. Leeds this team is just going to finish tenth again.
2: Yeah,
1: okay. I I agree. But yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad, I'm glad we're all we're all set on that. Oh yeah, actually, I do have them at exactly tenth in my uh in my yeah, in, in my in my table. Yeah. I mean, look, they finally got Jack Harrison permanently, despite the fact that he had been in their team for, what, three and a half years before that. Um, And, you know, other than that, they got Junior Firpo, who's, you know, a very capable attacking left back. Defensively, he obviously leaves a lot to be uh, desired. He's
0: better than Alioski, too.
1: Yeah, and Alioski is their only, you know, key departure, aside from notorious bad person, Kiko Casilla. Um, who's, you know, and Pablo Hernandez who had been with them for a while um, and is like 37. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, pretty solid summer. I think this year is going to be another test for them to see if they can overperform. I just don't really see a Bielsa side regressing that much. And the fact that they kept hold of Rafinha, I think is their biggest, uh, Mm. coup of the summer, but all in all, you know, no serious, um, increases or decreases in talent for them.
0: Yeah, I think the one question you highly have is, does Patrick Bamford have you know a similar output this season uh, as his surprising goal-scoring output last season? And also, I think an interesting transfer that they've made is Lewis Bate on loan from Chelsea, who is kind of quietly uh, a very, very good young player. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops under Bielsa. But it's good that they have... A lot of their core still at the club, Rafinha signing Jack Harrison from Manchester City, making that permanent. And I think Firpo is an upgrade on Alyoski. And so they'll be very much reliant on the same core group of players, Stuart Dallas, Patrick Bamford, you know, Rafinha, Diego Lorente. hopefully has a fully fit and ready-to-go season. So, yeah, Caleb, I think this is, you know, expect a lot more of the same from Leeds United.
2: Yeah, I mean, they are like the Thanos team, like perfectly balanced, right? <laughs> um I mean, that is like a compliment. I, I know calling someone Thanos isn't a compliment, but like they score as many goals as they concede. They finish 10th. They entertain the fans, right? Like, I'm not sure you could really ask for for much more from a truly mid table side. Um, well,
0: also, I think another thing to consider, Caleb, and you're right, is that they're finally going to be able to play top flight football in front of their fans. They're long suffering fans. for the first time in a very, very long time. So I think that is going to have a positive impact on guys like, you know, Stuart Dallas, who have been playing at Leeds for quite a long time and are finally going to get the chance to play at a fully packed on-road in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, they're going to be a difficult away trip for sure. But I think a team that has maybe made itself better than any other team proportionate to their net spend is next up in Leicester City, This team just continues to make the best transfers with the money that they have. They brought in Pat Daka, who was incredible in filling the shoes of Erling Holland for Salzburg last year. Um, They also brought in Bubakari Sumare, who we talked about, I think, a couple of episodes ago. And they, they filled the holes in their squad that needed to be filled. They also brought in Ryan Bertrand as a sort of... Capable backup wing back because they did lose Christian Fuchs, who became the first ever signing for Charlotte FC. Um, and obviously, Wes Morgan, who has uh, played a huge role in their club over the last couple of years, but sort of aged out of this team. Dhaka should be the second or third option at striker when Vardy and Ianacho are both fit, but he has the potential to be a huge player for them. And Sumare continues to fit the mold of them buying young, talented center mids. Um, and I don't know. I just think this this Leicester team are so impressive in the way that they are run. And I have a lot of respect from them from the ownership down. And I think they did exactly what they needed to do this summer as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, Leicester continued to impress winning the Community Shield this past week. Obviously, not the most important trophy to win, but... Hey, a trophy's a trophy. Is a trophy. Uh, I think the big negative that they're facing is the injury to Wesley Fofana, who I think was one of the, you know, surprise, you know, defensive talents in the Premier League last year, who got a pretty serious injury and will be out um, until 2022. Um, and so the question is sort of who is going to be partnering Soyanchu consistently at the back? That is something they're going to have to sort of iron out over the course of the season. But obviously, big player back, Ricardo Pereira, who couldn't play much of last campaign, being fit for the whole year, having him and Castagna. This team still has a lot going on. I just worry, though, that I think some of the other more traditional top teams around them have improved. And so while they've missed the Champions League just ever so slightly the past few years, this year, even if they sort of play to their level, might miss out on it again.
0: I don't think this team is going to make the Champions League. I do think that is an accurate assessment. However, I do think they're going to be competing for those places. They're certainly beating around the Europa League spot. You know, this is kind of the family team for me, as I've said before on this podcast, so I hope they do do well so my family is happy. I think Daka is value for money, the best transfer in the Premier League this season. I think he's going to end up being the Vardy replacement long-term. You could even see it. When he came on uh, in a preseason friendly, his playing style is so much like Jamie Vardy. He plays off of the shoulder, uh, such a gift for finishing, you know, finishes in very much the same way. You know, that very cool Kong composed. And it's also, you know, rapid as well. His placement is really good. So I think you know Sumare just won the league with Lil. He'll be looking to you know continue his success. And Ryan Burchin is all, all also is always pro- blah, 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 blah. Ryan Burchin has already proven to be you know an upgrade on Fuchs by slotting in in the Community Shield and you know keeping Riyad Mahrez at bay for the entirety of the game. So yeah, very very good from Leicester. Hello, Corner Kick Fam. You might wonder why you're not hearing our full Premier League predictions in this first episode. And that is because we kind of got a bit carried away and the full length of this podcast ended up being close to an hour and 45 minutes. So instead of you having to sit there and listen to our beautiful voices for that whole time, Nathan, what did we decide to
1: do? We are going to split this one gargantuan episode into two. So we hope you enjoyed The first half of our preview you can feel free to listen to the second half if you want to know how we finally think the table will end up at the end of the year
0: yes i think there are going to be a few surprises in that second half as well perhaps a a surprising vendetta (laughs) from one of our uh, hosts against a club in the south of england but we'll just have to listen to find out about that Uh, thank you for listening and enjoy the second half of our show